Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. Go to strengthguild.com. S-T-R-E-N-G-T-H-G-U-I-L-D.com. Scroll down to the Iron Radio Collections, and we've got new shirts and new banners for you to support the show. Everything from just a regular banner, regular shirt, to ones with sayings on them, like Lonnie's Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree shirt. And some news for you. We're going to have some contests for people who own these shirts and things. So if you support the show... We'll let you more on that later. So if you get in on these early, you can be one of the per- first people to win some prizes. So thank you very much. Go check out the site, strengthguild.com. Scroll down to Iron Radio Collections and support the show. Welcome, Iron Radio listeners. This is Lonnie Lowry. I'm an exercise physiology and nutrition professor of about 20 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, this is Phil Stevens, strength coach, owner of Strength Guild, powerlifter, having games athlete. And just, I'm a, I'm a traveler, much like Mike, for about a month. Yes. So this is the one weekend in town. Other than that, I'm out. So yeah, uh, you are traveling more than I am now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, this is Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I created the Flex Diet Certification, Associate Professor at the Kerrigan Institute, and yeah, just hanging out at home, doing the inverse of Phil. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Phil, can you share much about where you're going to be and everything? I mean, Phil's going to be on the road, everybody, the next couple of weeks. So we may, it depends on the signal, right? I mean, we're victims of Wi-Fi here, but. Yeah, exactly. We should be good. I bought a hotspot. So um, it's been working good now. Uh, last weekend, I spent a week down in San Antonio, visiting some people down there. Um, talked to Jude Howe. I think we've had Jude on before. Yep. Oh, yeah. Some people like that. And then uh, this weekend, I'm back. So it's been catching up, getting everything rolling, and then next weekend, it's a family fun trip. We're going floating down a river and hiking. Cool. And then the weekend after that, I'm driving up. Early Friday morning, I'll head out, drive to London, Ohio, the huge metropolis of London, Mm -hmm. where I can finally catch one of Windler's football games in person, see him coach on the sidelines, and then wake up the next morning, and I'm coaching at USPA Nationals. One of my kids uh, is in that, so... Then I'll coach all day Saturday at that, and then drive back Sunday morning. So and yeah, then whirlwind. Hopefully, I'm back for a little bit. But sounds like a plan. We'll see. You never know, right? So. Yep. Uh, okay, Mike, traveling for you, or you're just home, huh? <clears throat> yeah, I'm home. We're going to be uh, part of half of October, half of November ish. We'll be down in South Padre. So we'll probably make our way drive down there and. Hang out there for probably several weeks and hopefully get a lot of kiteboarding in, do some projects, and then visit some family and some friends in Texas in that area and and drive back. So we didn't make it down there, obviously, in April, so we had down there for a while. Right on. Yeah, both of these things, hiking, you know, kiteboarding, all this. I love, like, meaningful cardio, you know, that has a yeah, purpose. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's so much better than trudging along on a oh, treadmill, staring at paneling, yes. you know, it's asinine. Yes. I know sometimes or, we we have to right, but or constructive cardio. There, uh, it's, right. I call it too. Where it's like I'm going to accomplish something. I'm going to go put up some fences, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, whatever. You know, it's, I want to get something done if I'm doing it. But yeah, go hiking, go biking, go 
float down a river. Totally. Whatever. Yeah, we have a huge brush pile at the back of my property, and Kelly and I, I'm out there sawing. You know, these not big, but mm-hmm. you know, maybe the the thickness of your arm sawing all these logs, and we're discarding all this stuff. And after about 45 minutes, I'm drenched, and I'm like, Yeah. And I, because then uh, my wife and I were going to go do cardio, and I'm like, Why? Yeah, <laughs> like, we just did, we just did that. You just did that, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. It's crazy how many calories you forget. That you burn. Like, I usually lose weight when I go kiteboarding because I'll go ride for oh, two yeah. hours at a time. And it's not like I'm working that hard per se, but you do that, you know, every day and you're outside and you're walking oh, around yeah. and you're moving out. And yeah, it makes a big difference. Yep. Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, let me fire. I got a question here from a listener, Glenn from San Diego. Hi, Glenn. Uh, he says, I'm not sure how to contact the team for interesting articles and upcoming shows. This one caught my eye recently. Uh, Alan Argon retweeted this. Uh, it's on protein versus calorie restriction and longevity. So, listeners, if you're not familiar, uh, Phil, I don't know if you've seen a lot of this. Mike, you might have about how particular amino acids, if you restrict them, animals live longer. Depends on the critter, yeah. right? Depends yeah. on the critter. Um but this is calories or protein, the effect of dietary restriction on uh, lifespan in rodents. And it says, is, exp- is explained by calories alone. So in other words, the debate that it's it's the protein, uh, and we have to be careful embracing what we want to hear. But I admit, this is what I rather hear, right? That the protein isn't at fault for rapid aging, because otherwise, I'm just effed, you know? <laughs> <laughs> um <clears throat> But I pulled the paper, Experimental Gerontology. It's actually a 2016 paper. Here are the highlights. Oh, by the way, this is Speakman and colleagues. Highlights, calorie restriction and protein restriction both have a positive effect on lifespan. Uh, Second, in rodents, the effect of calorie restriction on lifespan is not explained by the simultaneous protein restriction. So, listeners, you might think if you're going to cut a bunch of food intake – You know, you're almost accidentally, unless you're very careful, you're going to cut all calorie sources, including protein. Mm -hmm. Uh, The third point, the response in mammals to calorie restriction and protein restriction appears to be different than in insects. Uh, I think we might have touched on this before because people be like, Lowry, what's up with the fruit flies or, you know, uh, nematode worms or whatever? And it's like, well, they you can watch their lifespan very readily. I mean, if you do a lifespan yeah. study in, in people, you're going to be around for 100 yeah. years. <laughs> <laughs> That's a long study. Yeah. So it says the key difference is probably in the methods where the insect studies actually involve dietary dilution as opposed to straight-up restriction, if that makes sense, right? So the if they're, the insect's feeding on a little broth of some kind, they just make it more watery, whereas hardcore restriction would be like, periods of time where you don't get food you know yeah so just real quickly here let me cut to the i pulled the you can get the 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 full paper i believe here so it says uh from the very beginning the question of whether food restriction acts on lifespan via reduced calorie intake or reduced protein intake was disputed so which is it here we review the data regarding previous studies on protein and calorie restriction in rodents. We show that increasing calorie restriction, so greater and greater restriction uh, with simultaneous protein restriction, increases lifespan and that the calorie restriction with no protein restriction generates an identical effect. So thank goodness for that. I mean, because mm-hmm. when you cut your calories way back, if you want to maintain muscle mass, you know, your protein needs go up. 
So that's sort of early stage, early days Gail Butterfield stuff. But we conclude that calorie restriction is a valid phenomenon in rodents that cannot be explained by changes in protein intake. So pretty cool. Thank you for that, Glenn. I'm, I'm glad to hear it. Because otherwise, what strategy do you have? Eat less, do less, and be less, you know, and who wants that? So that was neat. We also know that as you scale up in sort of the hierarchy complexity that the effects seem to be less and less, right? So by the time you get to, I think there was two studies done in chimpanzees, but they were, you know, potentially looking at different diet qualities and they were like, meh. Helps a little bit, you know, not nearly as much as if you're uh, a worm or a yeah. fruit fly. Right. So yeah. it seems to be less and less. And like you said, Lonnie, there's not really a lot of human studies on it per se, just because of the length of time. You know, you can look at some of the, I think there's a group, what do they call themselves, cronies or something? People who do like uh, active caloric restriction and... They they look like eel shaped rakes to use Phil's words. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they're not holding on to a lot of muscle there. No, agreed. So, yeah. yeah, and we know that muscle obviously sarcopenia is a risk factor as as we age too. So yes, I think there's probably something there. But again, if there is, we don't have a ton of data on it, and then you have to weigh it against the other things that we already know that most people are going to be losing muscle mass as they age. And we definitely know that that's a risk factor. Absolutely. In fact, I read a paper just a few months ago that affected my own research. Basically it was suggesting the amount of muscle mass you have, um, more muscle mass makes you a better glucose disposal person, right? Because you have more of a Mm -hmm. gas tank to, you know, to put the glycogen in. Uh, and so much so that I'm going to start like adjusting statistically for that, like get people's fat-free mass and kind of adjust yeah. for it. You know, because the coffee research I'm doing is all about glycemia and everything. So I'm like, well, some of these guys are really jacked. Maybe I should adjust yeah. statistically for all that muscle mass because so long as it's not sore and damaged, that's going to make them a better carb handler potentially, mm-hmm. right? So yeah. there's a link. And that gets even more complicated because I've been looking a lot now at uh, how fat operates. And so if you have a better functioning amount of fat, as weird as it is to think about that, that's actually a pretty darn good metabolic buffer to overfeeding, right? So a lot of times you don't even think about fat as being a a sink for other nutrients per se or excess calories, which kind of makes sense. Uh, But people who have more dysfunctional fat, it doesn't really go into the fat tissue as much. They don't use it as much, and it kind of backs up into the liver, fatty liver disease and high triglycerides and Mm -hmm. Yeah, so a lot of it gets much more complicated than it always appears on face value. I had a, a friend in grad school who had a he has a, a genetic LPL defect, so he actually can't, oh, he can't yeah. take up <clears throat> blood fats right and store them as well. And we when we did blood draws on him, uh, when you spin it down to the centrifuge, instead of that clear amber kind of serum on top, it was like milk. It was like an amber colored cream. I'm like, oh. Dude, so <laughs> yeah. let me give you some like numbers wise. I don't know if how familiar people are with triglyceride numbers, but he was way over twelve hundred. Like, oh, like, oh. oh god! Now you might think, yeah. cool, you'll never store fat, but no, not cool for the reasons you yeah. just said. Uh-huh. Yeah, Ugh. Uh, like like you know, lipodystrophy, right? You can't if that fat you genetically can't store it. It's got to go somewhere. So on the mm-hmm. surface, you know, they appear you know very lean, right? Because you can't store a lot of fat at all. 
but then you look at their health markers and bloods, and it's usually just a disaster. Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what could they do for that? Hook them up like bloodlet and hook them up to some machine that kind of like a blood dialysis machine? It's a good question, man. Get that stuff out of there? I mean, weekly, you got to go. Yeah. You know. I'm not sure exactly what they do, to be honest. Right. I mean, I'm guessing... Probably a very, very low-fat diet, higher carbohydrates. I would imagine there's some medications now, and there's different forms of lipodystrophy, too. I'm not an expert on any of it, but, yeah, it's Well, and to be honest, I mean, well, this guy wasn't real lean either, so it makes you wonder, like, how's that even happening, you know? Fish oils would be one thing. I mean, they pretty regularly yeah. drop triglycerides in people. Yeah. Uh, stuff like that. But you no, know, you're right. Because I've thought about that with different blood lipids before. It's like, but the problem is because of the turnover. Like, even if you go on a low fat diet or you drain their, give them a full blood transfusion, if they're mobilized, their rate of appearance in yeah. the blood of all that fat, if they're mobilizing all that, you're going to be right back to square one real fast. Yeah. yeah. It's just such, yeah, I don't know. Got to fix the <laughs> metabolic defect somehow. Gene therapy, maybe. Yeah. Um, I have two more. This next one is also nutritional, and then I have one on uh, the squat. So, strength and muscle sport news. Sort of thematic. I, I was remiss, everybody. After the break, we're going to talk. We're going to do a little mini series called "Mistakes Were Made," and that's. I'm just going to ask the guys about themselves or stories about other people that made mistakes and in the first this first go round we're just going to do leg day right so t- techniques programming you know what lessons have you have we learned so then you guys don't have to suffer through it uh, i just wanted to touch on this I, I totally stumbled on this piece about zinc um effects of dose and duration of zinc interventions on risk of type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease now before you performance people tune out remember when we're talking about di- diabetes prevention, we're, that means we're improving carb handling. So that's that's got to be interesting even to athletes, I would think. So this is from Pompano and Boy, Advances in Nutrition, um, end of July of this year. So this is spanking new. It says, let's see, no meta-analysis has examined the effects of dose and duration of zinc interventions and their impact on type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease. Uh, they compared low versus high dose, so less than 25 milligrams per day versus more than 25 milligrams per day of zinc. And they did it with short duration studies and long. So less than 12 week studies or longer than 12 weeks. And they looked at the different, you know, markers for type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease. Um, they searched, let's see, the PubMed and Cochrane Review databases uh, earlier this year. There were 1,042 and 974 participants receiving zinc and placebo. So they're looking at all these different studies. Let's see here. Low-dose zinc supplements, less than 25 milligrams per day, significantly benefited fasting, blood glucose, insulin resistance, triglycerides, there we go, uh, total cholesterol, and LDL. High-dose zinc supplements, so more than 25 milligrams of zinc a day, Benefited glycated hemoglobin and insulin resistance. So interesting. Like this looks pretty positive. Remember, this is a study of other studies. Uh, It says short-term interventions, less than 12 weeks, were able to improve fasting blood sugar, 
insulin resistance and triglycerides, while long-duration studies, more than 12 weeks long, benefited fasting blood glucose, triglycerides, and then even LDL, so quote-unquote bad cholesterol. Now, if you're wondering, I just I pulled the full paper here as far as a mechanism. It just says zinc affects multiple aspects of insulin homeostasis uh, and the inflammatory response to type 2 diabetes. It's critical for a proper secretion of insulin from pancreas beta cells. It contributes to insulin transport and binding of insulin to its receptor uh, on other cells and can impact insulin sensitivity and insulin resistance by activating multiple cell signaling cascades. So makes me glad I take low dose zinc. Actually, mm-hmm. uh, I think all of us do. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I grab- do have a multivitamin, but it's in there. Yep. Yeah, I actually take. I grabbed it out of my cabinet here. I take a calcium magnesium zinc like chelate thing. Um, yeah, it's got twenty five milligrams of zinc. So. Yeah, it's just one of those things. Yep. Yep. All three of those things have other benefits too. I mean, beyond zinc's had. In the weightlifting world, it's had different enthusiasts, sometimes for testosterone boosting, which I'm not impressed by. But but when it comes to like zinc and magnesium, they're cofactors. They help hundreds of enzymes do their thing in your body, you know. And just when it comes to stuff like sometimes if I overdo stimulants during the day, I'll get a a touch of restless leg syndrome kind of thing at night. Mm -hmm. Um, I've never been diagnosed with that. But the magnesium helps with the muscle relaxation and stuff. and. So yeah, maybe the and I've, I actually did a piece once for Flex Magazine on magnesium versus manganese and not confusing these things and and how these different minerals can help with uh, blood sugar control. It's kind of I remember getting attacked by some guy about that. He's like, "This does this isn't true." And you know, where's the evidence? I'm like, "There's re- there, there's references. <laughs> it's a report yeah. on studies. I don't know what else you want. It's just yeah. you know, competing authors." being stupid anyway yeah. Yeah. that's probably because a lot of people as you know are deficient in zinc and magnesium so yes, right makes sense to add more <clears throat> and obviously if listeners get too crazy with zinc you can deplete out copper and have other issues too if you start going bonkers on it yep yeah uh, in class we usually talk about how minerals the plus two minerals like calcium magnesium zinc they yep. compete with each other right for absorption and transport so don't get too excited yeah. One little trick I've done too with people initially, if I do just a simple dietary recall and looks like magnesium is low, is just supplement them with magnesium for a while just to get them feeling better. I got that from Dr. James Laval. And a lot of times that makes a huge difference for people, you know, especially if they don't like the sight of green vegetables. Like just mm. <laughs> give them some magnesium for a while to get them feel better, and then you can try to get more nutritional changes. For some people, it makes a massive difference. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. One more study before we go to break and we talk about uh, leg day mistakes. Effects of squat training with different depths on lower limb muscle volume. So this Mm. is pretty interesting, Um, especially because I read a paper recently. uh, It was a Brazilian paper, I think. And I think Brad Schoenfeld was part of it, but they were looking at half or a partials versus full squat. And I just looked at the abstract. They weren't talking about uh, how they determined depth. But they were suggesting, based on EMG and muscle activation, that half squats looked pretty great. But I think that's because they adjusted the percent of one rep max, you know, and you can just Uh, put a lot more weight on your back in a half squat. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But this one suggests uh, you're just going to get better growth, in my opinion, where it counts with a full squat. 
So uh, this is uh, some Japanese researchers, Kubo, K-U-B-O, and colleagues. This is a 2019 paper from EJAP, European Journal of Applied Phys. Effects of squat training with different depths on lower limb muscle volume. So the purpose of this one was to compare the effects of squat training with different depths on lower limb muscle volumes by MRI. So they're getting serious. They're just taking a good look at the muscle volume here. 17 males were randomly assigned to full squat. Uh, there were eight of them, or half squat, and nine guys there. They completed 10 weeks of squat training, squatting twice a week. Okay, right? They, you know, they're getting enough volume yeah. in there. Um, yep. Results, the volumes of knee extensor muscles significantly <laughs> increased by 4.9% in the full squat and 4.6% in the half squat group. Both of those were statistically significant. Um, the rectus femoris and hamstring muscles did not change. So interesting. Hmm. Um, relative increases in adductors and glutes were significantly greater in the full squat than in the half squat. So it says, mm -hmm. uh, yeah, not surprising, right? The adductors and gluteus were significantly more, 6.7% uh, volume increase in the full squat and only like 2.5% in the half squat. So 6.5 roughly yeah. to 2.5. So wah, wah. Uh, yeah. Conclusions, the results suggest full squat training is more effective for developing the lower limb muscles, excluding the rectus femoris and hamstrings. Um, that just, I like this because this is more of a outcomes research, rubber hits the road. It's not just EMG muscle activation and guessing what's going to be better yeah. for growth. This is growth. Ten weeks later, yeah. who's bigger? And let's face it, we've all seen Tom Platz's legs, right? Adductors and <laughs> glutes, man. That's where the size is at, right? That's where yeah. the growth is at. Um, I, I've seen guys with pretty impressive quads, but if they're not laying on top of some huge adductors and other meat, mm -hmm. they just don't look very powerful. Yeah. yeah. So deep squats for a round butt and big thighs. Yep. Uh, when you do an actual dissection, I think people are always shocked. I know I was the first time I did it of how much muscle there is in just the adductor compartment itself. Oh, and granted, yeah. you're including all of the adductor muscles there. It's, it's much more massive than I think I always thought just by looking at pictures and everything else. True. And you've done that certainly more than me, but I've seen enough. Yeah. You yeah. look at anatomy, plastic anatomy models. You're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. And like I said, look yeah. at Tom Platz's pictures of his legs. It's, oh. it's, it's the adductors yeah. that blow you away. Like there's yeah. so much meat there that his quads are look like they're laying on top of. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah. In fact, once I remember listening to Bill Phillips, and he's like, adductors, what's that, like the size of a pencil? I'm like, no, <laughs> no. Do you, he's thinking sartorius maybe, right? He's thinking something else. Yeah. But I'm like, no, dude, you are badly misleading people. Adductors <laughs> are where it's at. Like go, yeah. go learn some anatomy. So interesting. All right, um, that's the whirlwind. So thanks, Glenn. And yeah, like I said, some stuff on, uh, you know, can maybe consider some zinc supplements. You're probably low in magnesium and zinc anyway. Um, if you're lactose intolerant or not drinking any dairy, then the calcium is a nice little bonus too. Like you get a calcium, magnesium, zinc. This I got. I got mine from Solar Ray. Um, just inexpensive, you know, and it's a chelate, so you can actually absorb it pretty decently. And uh, Mike, do you have a uh, before we go on? Do you have a a brand recommendation by chance for a like a zinc or magnesium or 
So as long as it's chelated uh, or yeah, usually I, I mean lately for magnesium, just kind of whatever sources people can find. I've been using Vitacost, their house brand actually, to be honest. Okay. Yeah. Uh, magnesium citrate is pretty inexpensive. Uh, usually we'll take that at night. If you take too much of that, you can be running to the bathroom though. Um, oh, yeah. You can use other forms during the day, like magnesium glycinate. I use that from Solar Ray if I'm taking it during the day. And then for most minerals, I just use it as a mixed uh, multivitamin. I use one called NeuroSynergy. Or I think it's NeuroSynergy 360 or something like that. Okay. I can get a link if people need it. But okay. mm-hmm. it's it's all the B vitamins, A, and it's got all the different forms of K1 and K2. And so my bias is just having all everything together, and it just makes it easier from a compliance and then a lot of people are missing probably something else too from depending on how specific you want to get to vitamin d to different forms of a and that kind of stuff so right yeah i do sort of my joint stuff in the morning because i run up and down the stairs i want to work it into my joints i I do my my like fish oils and lipid type stuff in the morning Mm -hmm. and then all the the calcium magnesium zinc i just find again because of like the the restless legs feeling I get at night, it's just easy. Like, you know, we just set some out, like it's just in the bathroom cabinet there and we just set it out and that's like the evening one, you know. Uh, It's a good point about magnesium. You can't go over about 350 milligrams or so, you can end up with the runs. So Yeah, especially on the citrate. The citrate's pretty inexpensive. So I usually tell people just start with that at at night and you're probably going to be okay. But if you're going to use different amounts, you're going to go higher during the day where eh, if you got to get up and run to the bathroom and maybe more of a <laughs> inconvenience, yeah. then using a different type is going to be beneficial. Yeah. yeah. Spread it out a little and whatever. Yeah. Do you use magnesium, Phil? Yeah, I'll use some. And like I said, I get, I get like Lonnie. I, if I don't, after a period of time, start getting some cramping issues and things like that. So yeah. Yeah. But I mean, like I said, I mean, I mainly, I mainly get, everything i need out of a multivitamin like we've talked about before i think a multivitamin yeah. is just a good idea it's just uh, we're not taking it to get all our vitamins we're taking it to assure we do yeah along Co- cover bases <laughs> you know what i'm saying yeah. yeah so i mean but hell i mean there's a lot of people in the world that like you guys should be taking a multivitamin because your diet sucks so yeah. mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. but uh you know, we do pretty good around here of mixing things up as far as lots of veggies and things like that. So, right on. Yeah. And if you're running a lot of fuel through the system, you're probably well, going to need yeah. a lot more cofactors too than someone who just doesn't do anything. Yeah. <laughs> also, this time of year, I mean, I think all your electrolytes and stuff, your zinc and magnesium, oh, yeah. sodium, and because like, we sweat so much. I mean, my gym's hot, so yeah. if I don't, man, I cramp, and I'll notice it. Like, ooh, yeah, I I need something more than water because mm-hmm. I'm starting to, yeah. The, yeah. yeah, I've been pushing salts a lot more on athletes now, especially in summer, and I've even upped mine quite a bit after listening to some stuff from the Element guys, Luis and those guys, and Stan Efferdine, and yep. went back and looked, and I'm like, well, screw it, I'll just keep adding more and see if I feel better, and especially when it all of a sudden goes from cool to, like, super hot and humid here, it's like, damn, that makes a big difference. Oh, yes, oh, how could I have missed this? <laughs> and salt had such a bad name for so long, and it still does in probably mass population, but... Yeah. Um, yeah. And we're not staying over to do it. Like Lonnie's talking about. No, there's healthy but, people and you're sweating. Yes. You're yep, exactly. Right. So if you're training hard, get out yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. So if, like, if you're, you're not a heart failure patient. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. If you're sodium sensitive and you're sedentary or you've got hypertension, yeah. yes. maybe you don't yes. want to go nuts on it. No. Yep. No. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. All right. 
All right, we're going to go to break. When we come back, um, we're going to talk about mistakes made. Hello, dear ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, yeah, you know who this is. Uh, so I'm here to tell you about uh, Dr. Mike T. Nelson's uh, new book, uh, Why You Should Eat Keto. I don't do it because, I mean, look at me. Come on, I'm fabulous and I'm fantastic. Anyway, you should text uh, Keto ebook all in one word to 44222 to receive your free copy. Do it. Do it now. Okay, listeners, after more than a decade of joining us on the podcast airwaves, you can now also become viewers on YouTube. This is not our usual simple backup of the audio show, but rather a growing body of video taste tests covering various foods of interest to nutrition enthusiasts, bodybuilders, and powerlifters. From within YouTube, simply search for Iron Radio Taste Test or Nutrition Radio Taste Test, in about 15 minutes, we cover taste and texture, similar to other products, uh, usefulness to the co-hosts, and whether we would recommend the product to certain clients. You may even want to watch our podcast feed or Facebook group for which products are coming down the pike so you can taste test them with us. Join us for this new monthly project. Iron Radio is, of course, primarily a podcast. But over the years, there have been technical glitches calling for backup streaming and listeners who wanted the convenience of other sources of audio content. Toward this end, Iron Radio is now simulcast and backed up on YouTube. If needed, please search Lawnman07 or Iron Radio from within YouTube. There's not much video, but if you like to listen through YouTube on a Roku or other living room device, there you go. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. All right, everyone, we're back. It's Phil and Mike and Lonnie, and we're going to talk about mistakes made. So tales and stories or just things we've seen in the past about where maybe we screwed up or someone else just screwed up. And in this first installment, we're going to do leg day. So... Uh, Phil, I mean, you own a freaking gym. Plus, of mm -hmm. course, you still compete after 130 years or whatever. So, <laughs> so from from your perspective, um, technique, uh, programming, what are mistakes that really come to mind when it comes to uh, training legs? The first one that comes to mind for me right away would be. For a, for a long time there, there was a push about a anterior tilt, uh, anterior tilt of the pelvis mm -hmm. before you squat. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I've definitely taken a big change away from that and being more neutral. Um, 
for for numerous reasons. I I honestly don't think if you could personally anterior tilt just the pelvis without affecting your lumbar, it might be okay. But most people can't do that. They just can't separate those two. So you end up going down this slippery slope of, you know, then you have these people with, with this lumbar that's in a bad position and things. So we've, I've just we've totally moved away from that and moved into all I work on initially on a squat is teaching them how to brace properly. If, if we get your core activated properly, the other stuff just seems to come in line. So that, that'd be the big mistake that it comes to my mind right away. Uh, can you? Just trying to teach that. Can you define either you or Mike anterior pelvic tilt to everybody? Like what what should they be looking for and not to make the same mistake? Yeah, I mean basically sticking your ass out. Okay, okay, <laughs> you know, right. For the, for the you know, easy term, mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, so you're so you're you're tilting your pelvis towards the back, so you're you're kind of tugging on your hamstrings a little bit. Was what you were trying to do? Um, the, the well, I guess I could call it a fallacy now. The fallacy was you're getting engage the hamstrings. No. Um, and I'm, hamstrings are going to engage anyways. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, uh, without putting you in a bad position. So the, I will say the hardest thing for me to transition from that, cause I did it myself and I had done it for years. Um, the hardest thing for me to get across was staying stacked, bracing my core, spreading the chest at the same time. It was hard to do those two things because it's really easy when you spread your chest, you kind of automatically go into an anterior tilt. Uh, of the pelvis, yes, so right. Not not moving the pelvis while spreading the chest apart for a squat, because um, you don't want your upper back to cave. You know, you don't want your thoracic to come over. So I needed to get my upper back tight, and then keep that core engaged and down low. So ribs tucked more towards the the pelvis, and uh, but also spread the chest apart and, and engage the upper back. No, so. if this is what you mean, like my, my wife and I used to laugh sometimes watching a fitness competitor. We we'd say heave and cock. Right, so they'd heave their chest out and cock their butt out. That's what you're trying yes. to avoid in an exaggerated way, right? So, uh, yeah. Mike, what about you? Um, leg day mistakes. I would say the biggest thing, looking especially at a squat, is so early on I was obsessed more with just myself, just trying to figure out can I squat, you know, not in pain, and then just what is the best position so i did all these videos and sent them to everyone and you know the consensus was that well i don't know looks good not any weight on the bar but it looks good (laughs) and i'm like it feels like shit like it feels horrible they're like no it looks fine just shut up and squat okay so i would go and do that for six eight weeks and i would end up with just blinding hip pain i'm like oh i'm such an idiot and so then i realized i'm like oh Maybe my body is doing some sort of weird internal compensations to get it to look good, but that doesn't necessarily mean that for my long-term health and performance, it's like the best idea. Mm-hmm. So I think I was too hung up on just not paying any attention to what I was actually feeling per se. So now with clients, obviously, we're going to get videos and we're going to look at it and see from a physics standpoint what's going on, mm-hmm. but more from an anatomical standpoint, because I don't know the structure of their hips or their, you know, acetabular, blah, 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 blah. I ask them, like, well, how does it feel? Mm-hmm. And if they've done it for a while, so they kind of get over that new feeling and it still feels bad, I'm going to try a different version and try to find something where the biomechanics looks good, but it actually feels somewhat okay, too. It's going to feel different and strange, but 
Um, I think early on I was just obsessed with making the biomechanics look pretty and to the hell with the rest of it, and mm-hmm. that caused all sorts of issues. You mean but, so? You yeah. mean to hell with customizing it for the person? Yes. Right. right. I'm like, yeah. well, if it looked good, then it must be fine. Okay. I'm like, yeah. no, it feels horrible. Like, yeah. uh, I don't care what it feels like. Just do it. You <laughs> <Yeah>. know. <laughs> It that should. No, yeah, that's yeah. Yeah. That's it should look this way. Damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Conform. Yeah. 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 No, so that's they a would tough one. themselves to get it to look that way using ungodly amounts of weird, strange tension or whatever. And I'm like, oh, good. Like, no, that's not good. Actually, not. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I think. So... Uh, you know, my my first story. I think Bonehead. Now remember, everybody. <laughs> Let let you who have uh, no guilt throw the first stone, right? But when I was 13, I started uh, legwork after – well, actually, I was about 15. For the first two years, I did nothing. I literally went to the gym. Uh, a friend of mine called me the walking biceps. I did 10 sets of preacher curls every day. That's all I ever did. I did no legwork. I did no <laughs> nothing. Um, but when I started doing legs, I half squatted. Um, I just didn't understand it, didn't know any better. You know, I was in a, a towny kind of gym. So, you know, you're, you don't have people like Phil saying, Hey man, you know, you're going to get bigger adductors and glutes according to research if you squat lower. Mm-hmm. So I, and I ended up just kind of, I, I just hurt myself. Um, almost to your point, Mike, like it felt wrong. You know, it, yeah. it didn't feel natural. Uh, I wasn't sure what I was doing. Uh, and then just. My my family genetically is kind of bottom heavy, so once I I clued in and just tried some full squats, you know. And again, when you when you do full squats, you really you do feel like your inner thighs, you know, those adductors mm-hmm. and your glutes and everything. But that's what I did. I was just spinning my wheels. What a what a dummy, you know. Yeah. But it, I was trying to do something other than curls. <laughs> but <laughs> but I think with the internet now and. and things like podcasts and stuff, there's less of an excuse. I mean, that was back in the day of you could read magazines and stuff, but, you know. Um, yeah. Uh, what else, Phil, as far as mistakes made? It could be uh, maybe programming, like, you know, frequency yeah. or anything, anything. Um, we did a workout one year where we did 150 reps at 50% on squat. Ooh. It sounds nice. And the no, first, it doesn't. The first, <laughs> what it happened? doesn't sound that bad, right? is what I mean. It sounds yeah, horrible. Yeah, 50%, but the first 100 aren't bad. Those last 50, whoo. Bad idea. You are wrecked. I mean, you are wrecked. I have another guy that's done it, because this was like eight or nine years ago. And I got another guy that's done it like three times since. And every time he's like, holy crap, he's wrecked for a week and a half. Um, personally, the biggest mistake I ever made was, this was before my hip replacement, so I would have... Oh, I don't know. You know, one third of the days I went into the gym to squat were just bad. And, uh, I just couldn't do it. So I had to change focus and do something else just because it hurt so bad. One day I got particularly annoyed at the situation of it hurting and load didn't hurt. So I just put 225 on the bar and I squatted for an hour and a half. Oh God. And I would do slow sets and fast sets and explosive sets and, and basically gave myself a case of rhabdo. So, <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. I was peeing Coca Cola for about three days. Oh. And like, I could not, could not go stairs. Luckily, we live on a house. So my, at this time, the garage, the gym was still here in the garage. Yeah. And I guess, well, house, my, my basement enters into the garage. Luckily, I have a driveway that goes around. So I had to like waddle down the driveway. 
oh for a God. week and coach people. So, yeah, that was a mistake. Um, but, yeah, I can't think of a ton. I mean, because even the, the 50% of 150, I'll still have people do it every now and again. It's not one of those things, a big enough mistake to where it's like, no, just never fucking do that again, guys. <laughs> um, yeah. Nobody got hurt or anything. Um, but it was just a – it's not one I'd recommend a lot. So a one-off. So, It'd be a one-off shock yeah, that's shock. a one-off challenge thing and – be expect to be sore for at least a week. So even though <laughs> yeah. only fifty percent. Yeah. So there's been a lot of talk of optimal soreness over the years, you know, or uh um volume kills. You know, we've heard that kind yeah. of stuff. So yeah, I can understand. Like young aggressive athlete, uh yep. guy or girl just gonna go nuts. And maybe the girls would survive that a little bit better, um yep. frankly, but uh either way, oh man. Yeah. Oof. Intensity techniques are called that for a reason, you know. <laughs> so you're going to yeah. blindside yourself, yeah. Not not weekly for f sake. Uh, yeah, because German volume training is brutal, and that's ten by ten, right? So yeah. that's a hundred reps. <laughs> yeah, this is fifty percent more than than a yeah. lot. <laughs> German volume training plus, <laughs> right? Yeah. Plus, uh, Mike. What about you? Other um, mistakes that you've made, or or you you see a lot? Oh. In terms of squats, I think I've made every mistake that there is, probably. But I think the other biggest mistake I made, or something that drastically changed how I program for clients, was early on just assuming when you said squat that you meant back squat. Like, you know, because probably because I read too much powerlifting stuff that, you know, nothing else counts unless it's a back squat. And so I got kind of obsessed to force all my clients, especially at the time when I was training in a gym, to back squat. And that was a freaking disaster because <laughs> you know, most of them, myself included, didn't have the mobility to do it. Um, especially I have long femurs, long, you know, forearm, you know, upper arms. Um, so just external rotation in the shoulders to get in and to get even a high bar position. Um, yeah. So I think that was bad. I, it went much, much better when I just went to, you know, front squats and then I got sane and bought a, a safety squat bar, which, I wish I would have bought in like 10 mm-hmm. years earlier because that's so amazing because yes, you can squat in a neutral position and you forget like when people are new, like even teaching them to front squat with just a bar, it doesn't feel good. The thing feels no. like it's going to mm-hmm. crush your windpipe and yeah. so even moving into something like that, which I think biomechanically is a little bit better for people who haven't squat. It's just, it's not fun, you know, and a lot of times their main goal isn't to, to front squat a ton of weight either. So having a safety squat bar that has pads on it, they don't feel as much pressure, mm. easier for them to get in position, or even just doing like the Dan John who's been on here, goblet squats. So I started doing as many versions as I could. I'm a big fan of Zercher squats with an axle, so two inch or put fat grips on it and just doesn't torture your forearms as much. Mm-hmm. But just other versions of, to get that motion in without necessarily making everyone and their brother do a back squat. Mike, mm-hmm. can you just quickly define for uh, anybody who's maybe new, uh, Zercher and um, and Safety Bar? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so Safety Bar is, like, you can look them up now. They're pretty easy to find. It's got a slight camber, so slight angle at the end. But the nice part is it's got uh, pads around where the bar is going to sit on your back, and your arms don't have to crane all the way back to grab the bar. They have yeah. handles out in front. So especially with new people, I can put their arms out in front. Like Phil was saying, with that position, I can close a little bit of the gap from their low ribs to their pelvis so it doesn't look like they're in some weird hooker stance or something <laughs> trying to squat. I'm like, okay, stay in this nice stacked position. Okay, just 
go down, stand up. You know, with your arms in front, it's much easier to do that. Um, even on a zercher squat, which basically if you have your arms kind of like the, uh, like you're going to carry a heavy sandbag, you know, where your arms are up in front, I find that that position just makes it, because it weights anteriorly, it's out in front of you, it makes just holding that position easier. Because if you can't hold it, you just kind of collapse. And if someone, you know, drops a, you know, axle with bumpers not on the floor, it's not a big deal either. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So the bar is just going to rest in the crook of their elbow, is what you're saying. Yep, just in the crook of their elbow, yeah. 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 The funny thing about both of those moves is they do feel really good comparatively to a back squat until you get heavy. Oh, yeah. Like a really, a really heavy <laughs> squat bar. Fuck it, it's horrible. It's like the most horrible variation we do. Like, okay, we're going safety squat, three weeks of safety squat bar. Everybody's like, ah, oh, this sucks. <laughs> you know, but we're going heavy on it. When you're going light, it's great for volume work. Oh yeah, it's amazing. You know, yeah. but man, it's it's hard hard work when you're going heavy because it just it purposely tries to fold you at yeah. at the upper back. Yeah, so, it is like someone took the back of my upper neck and is just trying to put my face in the dirt. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> while, you're, while you're squatting, yes. while I'm squatting. It's horrible. Somebody's putting you in a weird MMA move and okay, squat. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so, Freaky joint lock. Yeah. I need to do that actually, because Mike, your point about the external rotation. When I, because I, I've had this sort of like medial—I don't know if they call it golfer's elbow or whatever—serious yeah. forearm pain because I'm cranking like that. And I didn't used to feel this, but as I get older, maybe I should just wise up and just buy a safety bar, you know, and start squatting. Well, they like had that. that one thing. What was it? it? Was Dave Draper had the top squat? Yeah, that you could attach to any bar. Yeah, yeah, and it's the same thing, kind of. So okay, <coughs> I don't know if it's still out there, but he had it right. I think it's still out there, and he's got yeah. to give him like a, a harness where you can set a bar on there if you wanted to do yeah. like a different versions of front squats and zerchers and stuff. Yeah, okay. but then you could carry it to your own gym. You know? Oh right, yeah. yeah, put it on whatever bar. So yeah, yeah, I'm I need to look into it because I never used to have this problem. A lot of people, if you if you have extreme like proximal forearm flexor pain like meat on the inside of your elbow there and you're like what am i doing why does this hurt for me it was yeah. it was it was freaking squats yep um oh yep. yeah that's yeah, very normal and like God, but you wouldn't think oh leg work oh why is this yes. you know tweaking my forearm um yep yeah so that's that's a good one uh you know uh, what about what about uh, useless movements i mean maybe no movement is useless. I mean, Mike's like variety, like <laughs> variety guy. <laughs> Everything could have a, have a, a purpose, but like for example, I I don't see myself spending a lot of time doing lying hamstring curls if I can do some stiff leg deadlifts and stuff like that. Yeah, um, I'd say both of those lying hamstring curls and leg extensions, but I still like them. You know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> but they the end... shouldn't be. Like it's not something that I would send. Like, okay, I want to get jacked legs. Right. Okay, you need to do lots of lying hamstring curls. That's like after work. Yeah, so I'll go hit a bunch of like I'm gonna hit some sets of fifty on our leg extension machine after my real work. Yeah, because it feels good to get that massive pump. Yes, know? yeah, it so. it really does pump you up. Yeah. yeah, especially if they have I love the seated hamstring curl where you're sitting on it and you're curling underneath yourself. Oh, I love That's, that thing. Yeah, we have I don't one have one, but yeah, <laughs> yeah my gym has a hammer. Hammer one. Oh, of yeah, those. that's nice. So both of those. But I like I said, I mean, I think they're they're largely useless as far as building massive legs. 
Yeah. But you know, in rehab situations, and honestly, they just make my knees feel good too. If you're going light, I imagine if I tried to pack on and do like a max set of five leg extensions, probably a bad idea. But uh, yeah. for light rep work, man, it just seems to lube up your joints real well, and you know you can right. extend and get that nice hard pump in your legs. And yeah, yeah. At the end, that that does feel fantastic, actually. Yep. And I can see somebody do it beforehand, maybe as a little warm up. I, what I like yep. about it is like with my blown out medial meniscus on my left knee. I'm not weight bearing when I'm doing a leg extension, a quad extension, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, in the same way. It's, yeah, uh, yeah it, you know what? And I mean, yeah, stabilize the knee, stuff like that. But good point. Like, don't, don't be a wuss and do that instead of, you know, a good heavy compound movement. You're not going to yeah. grow. You know, you're not going to be Tom Platts off a of leg extension. That's right. Your adductors <laughs> are going to be weak. <laughs> so, yeah. Uh, Mike, what about you as far as mistakes you, you've made or clients do a lot with uh, movement choice, you know? Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of related to movement choices. In the past, I thought that everyone had to do kind of a astagrass, you know, squat with like flat shoes and, you know, no compensations. And eh, especially even more now, especially over the last couple of years, I'm like, uh I don't know if one of everyone even can do that, even if that was their main goal. Maybe, maybe not, especially if you're older. I think it's going to take a lot more work to do that. So putting people just in ways that they can accomplish it, and that could be, like you said, Lonnie, changing the variety. Um, I have used a lot more uh, heel lifts and just even slight plates under the heels. I bought a pair of old Adidas power trainers, like maybe four or five years ago, and even just a slight heel lift I found for myself made like a huge difference. Um, so I think I'll just you now you got people who've got you know ramps and all sorts of stuff, which I think it's getting a little bit too aggressive. Where you've got like a four inch ramp in order to squat, I think you probably need to <laughs> work on some other yeah. stuff. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I think allowing that I think is is probably useful because you're looking at trade off with time, right? So if I can use a slight heel lift and someone can squat and maybe work on their mobility. It'd probably be better than trying to use almost little to no weight and force them into mm-hmm. trying to get more mobile. And but now I'm giving up overload in the process, and their form may not look so good either. So I'm mm-hmm. probably going to go a little bit more, give them some overload, make sure it feels good. And if they need to use a little bit of a, a heel lift or something else to do it, then I'm okay with it now. Or in the past, I was a lot more just kind of ultra militant about that. Okay, yeah, I get it. Yeah. Um, do you use heel lifts at all, Phil? I don't know if you yeah. Use yeah, I'm definitely not one that thinks everybody should. Yeah. But, yeah, we try and fit it in. Definitely. I use uh, Nike Ramola shoe personally. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Um, and I made the mistake of, well, that's where I jacked up my knee. So I hadn't done anything, no squats out of my shoes in a long time. And uh... I did a three weeks out of my shoes, and that's the only thing I can come back to. There was no pain during. Like, there was no event that hurt my knee. Uh-huh, uh-huh. But uh, after three weeks, it was I was wrecked and couldn't hardly walk. Mm. And I went back. I, you know, kind of rehabbed it, went back, and I'm fine. You mm. know? And I think it was just the uh, – yeah, I have limited stress. mobility. Yeah, and I have limited mobility in that left hip ankle still. Yeah. And it just needed that. And I think I put stress on that knee from – because I was going just as low. Uh, without a heel all of a sudden. And my knee uh, was like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> <What is laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, we'll use them. And then, 
you know, I think every once in a while, like you said, you see those, uh, but you saw old bodybuilders do it. They put their heels oh, on a yeah. big plate. And so some of that can be fun and just get some sure. extra weight. But, mm-hmm. uh, but again, we do that with lightweight if we're doing yeah, that. Yeah. <laughs> so. I got uh, the one rep max on it. But yeah, I'll try and find where a person can squat best. Heel chew, not heel chew, you know, zero drop shoe, whatever. Let's figure out what, where do you look good and feel good? And that's what we're going to use. And then we'll start exploring moving up from there. You know, that's thematic. I mean, that's kind of back to what Mike was saying about, you know, customize a little. Don't try to force people into a textbook, you know. Like, you shouldn't be using that. You should have the flexibility or the range of motion to be able to have your heels down without support. But what if they're not built like that, you know? Yep. So uh, I have one last thing that I'm interested to see what you guys think about this. But um, one of the mistakes I made, just a personal story, is uh, I was in Toronto and I was – doing box squats with fortress and listeners if you don't remember rob being on the show rob can do (laughs) 10 sets of 10 with you know 365 and not think about it but um but we are doing box squat and i i think i i'm not a heavily built person i really need to be careful doing for me 365 for multiple sets um even if it's just sets of five you can hurt yourself doing box squats um -hmm. and oh yeah and i'm not used to it and I wasn't used to it, and I hurt myself pretty good. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm your back, your your ass, uh, you know, because you're like like if you're driving yourself down or stapling yourself onto the box, and you've got four or five hundred pounds on the bar, that's a, you know, you can get aggressive and really that's kind of stupid. I think I think I was kind of stupid because to your point, Mike, I I wasn't even used to it. You know. Uh, yeah. Box squats is one of those moves where I think it's it's overused and used poorly. Yeah. Because, yeah, I mean, you can – if you're coming down to a box and you're going quickly and you hammer into that box, you're putting a buttload of stress on your spine. Yeah. You know, yeah. in a very dangerous way. And that's why I try and get everybody no plopping on the box. you got to literally slowly sit down to it and unload. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, because, yeah, I mean, you're asking for trouble. Yeah. <laughs> you know? uh, n- not not okay. <laughs> so, yeah, people have to think about their own medical background and, and you yep. know. And it's just one of those things like uh, in your lifetime, you know, you just you accumulate scars, you know, by, by being stupid, I guess. Yep. So, and, of course, yeah. Fortress, you know, he's built like a refrigerator. He's as wide <laughs> as he is, deep as he is tall, so he's just bobbing up and down. I'm like, well, I don't yeah. do these things regularly. Yeah. <laughs> Super quick one. Um, yeah. I think actually if you're doing higher rep squat stuff, I've realized this more recently, doing some aerobic stuff, not at the same time, but just making sure you've got a pretty solid aerobic base, I've just realized lately like, oh, my gosh, that makes such a huge difference because I think back to when I was doing more high rep squats, I think I was very much cardiovascularly limited more so mm-hmm. than I was muscularly Yep. Um, so obviously I did a lot longer rest periods and things of that nature, but whenever I would try to increase the density of the work, right, so shorten rest periods, I would just tank and it would feel horrible. Uh-huh. And then especially after being in lockdown doing, you know, eight weeks of just aerobic stuff every morning, mm-hmm. uh, now when I went back to him, I'm like, holy crap, this is hard, but doesn't, like, I recover within, like, a quarter of the time, and it doesn't... Yeah feel as bad like the next day i get up and i'm like oh i'm not nearly as wrecked oh interesting (laughs) yeah Yeah, that goes back to the argument about the you know the whole the days of the old the big fat out of shape power lifter are gone yeah 
You need yeah. to be in shape enough to finish your workout. But yeah, you just explained what happens like every time after a meet for all my lifters. Because of course oh, we're yeah. getting close to a meet and we're peeking out. We're not doing reps. No. And then no. we get done. It's like okay, let's do some sets of ten. And what stops Oof. them is I can't breathe. Yeah. So it's not the weight. It's that. <gasps> oh yeah. <laughs> so because you're just not used to that. So. Yeah. It's brutal. I found that just seems to be much more profound on squats than even deadlifts. Oh, yeah. Yeah, by far. Yeah, that's what I've yeah. noticed, too. Yep. Just because of the weight, maybe your breathing patterns and who yep. knows, but yeah. Yep. That's easy well, to fall into, you know, uh, as far as like you don't maintain, especially with lockdown and everything, but you, you don't maintain your, your base, you know, your aerobic base. Yeah. And yep. yeah, squats are a brutal, brutal exercise. You go from zero to 99 real fast cardiovascularly, you know, when you're yeah. squatting up and down like that. Yeah. So yeah, and what a shame not to be able to finish the uh, the necessary uh, growth requiring volume, right? Because because you can't you're breathe. gassed. Yeah, because you can't <laughs> breathe. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and I kept thinking that I could squat myself into shape, and I think there you can get pretty far with that. But I think doing some just old school dedicated aerobic training, I found had like just a bigger transfer, especially at at some point. Oh, agreed. Like yeah, just doing it more, you're gonna get a benefit but i think you may need a little bit more just like assistance work right you may need a little bit more assistance work for that system to get to the next level yeah yeah i i fell into like the bodybuilder thing low intensity cardio just like morning walks you know and then sets of five kind of thing and then yeah you lose it and yeah it's just seductive but yeah also a problem Anyway. Yeah, and it's sneaky when you lose it. Like if you don't have something that you're kind of challenging yourself a little bit, like you won't really notice. No, it. Mm-hmm. and then when you go to challenge yourself, you're like, oh shit. <laughs> yeah, yep. yeah. And I do think you need the direct aerobic work a little bit. Like yeah. you're right, the squats yeah. just upping the rep. If you're used to doing five, do sixes for a while, do eights for a while, work yourself, yeah. you know, back up. That's going to help. But yeah, I also I agree. Just for me personally, I got to do some kind of intense cardio like hey hey heart and lungs you know join the yeah. join the game get in the game yeah. you know yeah. all right all right well that's yeah, I guess mistakes made yeah we'll see everybody next time Whee! i suppose see you. yep i'll be talking to you from a small town in missouri so sounds good <laughs> be safe <laughs> catch you yep. later Hey listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store. One for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store. Uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind, things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org 
And um, let us know what you think on the forums, and certainly you can request products, and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.